Good morning. I got it. I was going to say the the hardest thing about preaching is the microphone, and I got that down this morning. But uh, there we go. Now I'm cooking with gas. It's good to be with you this morning. It's been about a year since we were last here. I think. I think it's been about a year. And uh, we have an addition to our family. When we first started coming over here about four or five years ago, when we came over here for the first time, our son Andrew was just a little bitty guy, and as you know, kids grow up. He's six, and he has a little sister, a four-year-old sister, and uh, we are in the process of adopting her, and uh, we are waiting uh, to get approval from... State Department of Children and Family Services, so if any of you know how to speed them up a little bit, uh, we would appreciate that. You do? Okay. Oh, great. Well, I'm adopted too. Great. Well, I'm adopted too. I've been adopted into the family of God by Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. When Trey asked me if I would come here and preach about a month ago, he told me that you have been in the book of Mark. You've been doing a series in Mark, so he asked if I would uh, continue on with that series this morning. And I always appreciate that when pastors do that. It's always nice to have something that you've been given to preach rather than just relying on what the Lord's laid on your heart. And I understand you're going to be celebrating communion this morning, and that's good because Trey told me that earlier this week. And I thought, well, that's great because where we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark this morning uh, talks about Jesus instituting this ordinance that we know as communion that is closely associated with another celebration that Jesus and his disciples take part in, and that being the Feast of Unleavened Bread or an observance that we know as Passover. So we're going to be talking this morning a little bit about Passover and then uh, communion and what Jesus instituted through communion and uh, what that means. What is the significance of what we are going to be doing this morning because it is very, very important for us as Christians. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to Mark's Gospel. We are going to be in chapter 14 this morning. But before we get there, in setting up what we're going to be looking at this morning, I'd like to begin in chapter 6. Now in chapter 6, there is an event that happens with Jesus and his disciples that is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is the miracle of Jesus, the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, many of you know that story. We heard that when we were little children. I continue to be amazed of that, of just imagining what that would be like to have 5,000 people following Jesus. Um, That's bigger than Cisna Park, isn't it? Okay. We went through Gibson City this morning, and we saw that Gibson City is population 3,400. And my wife mentioned to me, and I said, you know, I thought 
too. I guess I just thought Gibson City was a bigger town than that. I grew up in El Paso, Illinois, and El Paso has a population of 2,700. So I think about this miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000 people, and this is 5,000 men. This is not including women and children. So there's probably, who knows, 10,000 people who are following Jesus. That's just... I I can't comprehend what that would be like to have twice the number of people in my hometown following Jesus all at one time. But here they are, and, and the Scriptures tell us that they're in a desolate place, and it's getting to be dinner time, and they don't have anything to eat. And the disciples come to Jesus, and they say, what are we going to do? And Jesus says in verse 37 of chapter 6, he says, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? And you know the story. They have five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus takes that, prays, blesses it, and he feeds this multitude of people. That is actually more than 5,000. 10,000 probably when you figure in men, women, children. And they, uh, we see here in verse 33 that they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Wonderful miracle of Jesus. Can you imagine all these hungry people and, and Jesus feeds them? What would that do to your faith in Jesus? You would see that this was truly a prophet. This is somebody extraordinary who is able to do these miracles. But in verse 45, we turn the page on another day. Something new, a new event is happening, and his disciples get into a boat without Jesus. And they're out on the sea... Rugged fishermen who are very well acquainted with the sea. They know what's going on. They've been there many times before. And we tell that they're afraid because a storm picks up. And this story, we also know very well, it's the story of Jesus walking on water. And so as this turbulence is going on in the sea, the disciples look out and there's Jesus walking on the water and they're frightened. They're frightened because they think that Jesus is a ghost. And so Jesus says in verse 50, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astonished. Now notice verse 52 with me. So they were utterly astonished, verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves. Here we have about a a day or two apart. Jesus finishes feeding the 5,000. Wonderful miracle that Jesus does. How can that be? How can we have enough food for all these people? Jesus gets the job done. And now here they are out on a boat and they're scared and they're frightened. And the Word of God tells us here that they had forgotten what Jesus had done the day before. Isn't that amazing? Does that sound familiar? Do you ever forget God's past goodness to you? 
in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through? Do you ever look at, oh, how can God ever do this? Do you look back on your lives and see times where God intervened for you? Time where he provided for your needs, took care of your health needs, or, or whatever the case may be, and you sit in your present circumstances and you worry and you stew. You're afraid because you've forgotten what God has done for you in the past. In fact, Mark's gospel goes even further in verse 52. He says, they did not understand about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. What does it mean to have a hardened heart? I read that passage in my Bible reading plan here earlier this year, and I came home one night, and at the dinner table, we sat down, and, and we talked a lot in our family about what does it mean to have a hardened heart. It wasn't too long after that, I had to give my daughter a time out. And I said, Mary Jane, what is, what is wrong with your behavior? And she looked at me and she says, I have a hardened heart. <laughs> so, well, I guess maybe they're learning, I don't know. But what does it mean to have a hardened heart? You know, I had a grandma who had a disease called hardening of the arteries. I don't know if that's a hardened heart or not, but, but I know that one of the symptoms that she had, that Grandma had while she had that, was she became extremely forgetful. She would forget all kinds of things. Sometimes I'd go see her in the nursing home, and sometimes she'd know who I was, and, and sometimes she wouldn't. Now, I don't know if hardening of the arteries is the same thing as a hardened heart or not. I don't know, but the point is... Grandma was forgetful, and I was told, we were told by the doctors, that that comes with hardening of the arteries. You become forgetful. And what Jesus is speaking of here in in Mark chapter 6 was they forgot what Jesus had done for them the day before. They forgot it. They did not understand what was going on in the present because they had forgotten what had happened in the past. And the reason for that is their hearts are hardened. You know, many of us, I see this all the time. I see it in my life. I see it in the lives of other people. Many of us are more able to acknowledge the areas of our lives where God is not working than we are to see his presence in our lives. Unfortunately, we're just wired that way. I think it's part of our sinful, fallen nature. And the reason, I think, is is very much what Jesus is talking about here in Mark chapter 6. We forget. Our hearts are hardened. And so as we come today to our passage in, in Mark chapter 14, it's important that we see why Jesus is observing with his disciples this feast of unleavened bread or the Passover as we know it. And the reason why they are celebrating this is because they are remembering what God has done for them in the past. So let's turn to Mark chapter 14. We're going to begin our time in the Word this morning in verse 12 of Mark 14, and I'd like to read this passage up through verse 25. And I'll read this. It says, And 
On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says... Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and said to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes out as it is written of him, But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What Jesus is doing here in this passage with his disciples is he is celebrating the Passover. This is a commemoration of an event that took place in the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel were in bondage to slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses, told Moses to go to Pharaoh and ask him that he would release his people. And Pharaoh had a hardened heart. In fact, as you read through the book of Exodus, we see a wonderful example of somebody with a hardened heart. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And even if I do hear his voice, I will not let Israel go. And so through a series of plagues, of nine plagues, Pharaoh refused to relent and let Israel go into the promised land. And so God initiates what is going to be a tenth plague on the Egyptians. And God tells Moses that he is going to strike the firstborn of every Egyptian, but he will spare the Israelites. And what the Israelites are supposed to do is they are to take a lamb, they are to take a lamb that is spotless, without blemish, They are to take this lamb, they are to kill this lamb, and they are to take the blood of this lamb, and they are to pour that blood out over their doorposts. And as 
The Lord goes through the land of Egypt. He will smite the firstborn son of the Egyptian, but he will spare the firstborn. He will spare the children of Israel. This is the Passover. God will pass over those homes that have the blood applied to the door. They are to eat this Passover lamb. They are to get rid of all the leaven in their home, and they are to eat unleavened bread. And in Exodus chapter 12, the Lord tells the Israelites through Moses that this is to be a permanent memorial meal celebration feast for the Jewish people for all time. You see, the Lord does not want them to have a hardened heart. He does not want them to ever forget what God has done for them in this important time in their lives. That God has passed over. And what God has done in the past, He will do in the present, He will do in the future. And so with this passage that we look at this morning with Jesus celebrating the Passover meal with His disciples, with His friends, we look back. We also look at the present And we look ahead to the future. And we see that God is there. And as Jesus is celebrating and participating in something that has taken place for many, many years, a tradition that he is observing and not taking for granted, we understand this morning that as Jesus is doing that, he sees the importance of looking back and seeing what God has done in celebrating God of the past. And so he says to his disciples, his disciples come to him, and he says, where will you have us go and prepare to eat this meal? You see, there's no doubt in their mind that they're going to do this. It's not a question of, are we going to do this? No. It's a question of, where are we going to do this? In fact, if you look at other accounts in the Gospels, in Matthew And Luke, of this same passage, Jesus says to them in these other passages, He says, I eagerly desire to spend this time with you, to share this meal with you. It is a communal aspect to what Jesus is doing. He doesn't want to celebrate this all by Himself in retreat from and separated from other people. He says, I desire to share this with you. I want to have you be a part of this. And together, we will declare the mercies of our God. We will proclaim who our God is and what He has done. In fact, part of this meal, part of this celebration, would be that they would sing a hymn. And the hymn that they would sing would come out of the book of Psalms. And they would sing a passage of the Scriptures known as the Hallel. would be Psalm 115 through Psalm 118. And they would sing that, and they would proclaim of their God and the mighty deeds that God had done in their lives. And so Jesus says, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. And they would clearly recognize who this person was. Because in Jesus' day, men didn't carry jars of water. Women did. And so when they saw the man carrying the jar of water, they knew that was the one. And Jesus said to them, Go, and he will show you the place that he has prepared for us. 
And so in verse 16, the disciples set out in the city and they found it just as he told them and they prepared the Passover. They sacrificed a lamb. They ate a lamb. They got rid of the leaven in their home. They ate unleavened bread. And I'll explain that in a minute, the significance of that. And when evening came... They were reclining at the table, and Jesus says to them, one of you is going to betray me. And they all look around, and they wonder, who is that going to be? Who is that? Is it me? Is it me? Can you imagine? Here are these friends who have been with Jesus this whole time, and Jesus predicts that one of them is going to betray them. We know that uh, Peter... Jesus uh, foretells Peter's denial later on here in in chapter 14. Jesus says, everybody else is going to fall away from you, but not me. I'm going to follow you. I'll follow you to the very end, to your death. And Jesus says to him, truly, Peter, I tell you, verse 30, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And we know that that's exactly what Peter did. You see, we are prone to fail. We can make big, big promises to God. We often do. Often promise God that we're going to do all kinds of things. And we often say, you know, though none go with me, I'm still going to follow Jesus. But we realize very quickly that we can't do this on our own strength. This is not a covenant that we can keep on our own. And fortunately for us, we have a covenant-keeping God who in verse, beginning in verse 22, Jesus institutes what is a new covenant. At the end of this meal, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it similar to what he did with uh, the five loaves and two fishes. And he says, and he distributes it to his disciples, and he says, take, eat, this is my body. Now Jesus refers to himself as, as many things throughout the Scripture. He says, I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. He speaks that passage in in the Gospel of John, and it's a reference to the manna in the wilderness that Moses received, the Israelites received for 40 years. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am that manna. He says, man does not eat by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus here, as he takes this loaf of bread, he says, this is my body. And then after that, he took a cup, verse 23, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and he drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many Truly, I say to you, I will not drink it again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. 
you see Jesus looks ahead. Down through that dark corridor of time and space, you and I were there when Jesus was crucified. A day later, they will take him. They will arrest Jesus later in this chapter. They will take him away. He will be tried. And eventually he will hang on a cross and he will die. And down through that dark corridor of time and space, he saw you and he saw me and he saw people for all generations. And he died. He paid the price for our sin once and for all. You see, this morning we are not waiting for Jesus to come and die on the cross again. His final words, it is finished. It is over. Once and for all, Jesus died for us. He paid the price for our sin. And he has entered into, here in chapter 14, a new covenant with us. Jeremiah foretold of this covenant. He told of it in Jeremiah 31. Chapter 31. Beginning in verse 31, he said, I will put a new heart in you. I will remove that heart of stone. Ezekiel spoke of the same thing. That this heart of stone, bent toward betraying Jesus, bent toward turning away from Him, denying Him, he says, I will give you a new heart, a heart of flesh, A heart that will be made new. I will recreate you, God says. And just as Jesus died and will rise again, so you too will go through the same baptism when you receive this gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. No longer a hardened heart. A new heart. To praise God, to worship Him, to be accepted in Him. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Now this event takes place, this new covenant that Jesus institutes that we know as communion is instituted for us at the feast of Passover. And if you would briefly turn with me to another interesting passage in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 5, We can see the parallel here between the Passover and the new covenant of communion. Now, in the church at Corinth, which we know of through the books of 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a church that has a lot of problems that he has to address. And one of the problems, one of the many problems that exists in this church is the problem of sexual immorality. In chapter 5, we see in verse 1, Paul says it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality uh, among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. A man has his father's wife. Now, I can't quite get all the detail. I can't quite understand that, but we know that this is sexual immorality. It is wrong. And the problem that exists in the church with regard to this problem is that some of the people are arrogant about it, as we see in verse 2. And Paul says, Ought you not rather mourn over this? Instead, you're proud about it. 
And he says, let him who has done this be removed from among you. What Paul is talking about here is church discipline. Taking our sin seriously. Taking responsibility for it. Confronting people with this. And dealing with it. Now notice what he says about this in verse 6. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now think about this with regard to Passover. Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal. It is known in the Jewish context as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They have removed all the leaven out of their homes. There's a symbol there. There's a very important message that God is trying to convey to them. And the message is that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know what I'm talking about there? Anybody ever done anything with yeast bread? Come on, ladies. Yeah, I know. You know how to make cinnamon rolls. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I used to have a woman that I worked with. Uh, someone had given her some concoction that she kept in her refrigerator known as Amish friendship bread. And this went on for, for several months. I really liked it because she didn't know what to do with it. So she, I mean, it just kept growing and she had all this stuff and she was trying to give it away and she was throwing some of it away. But what she did that I really liked was she made coffee cakes and she made cinnamon rolls and all kinds of things and she brought it to work and we all had breakfast. And then finally, she just couldn't keep up with this anymore so she threw it all away and got rid of it. But anybody ever had that? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Let me put it to you another way. When one person sins, another person suffers. That's the gospel. You see, we do not sin in private. What we do affects one another. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so what Paul is saying here is you must rid yourself of that. You must cleanse yourself from that. You must turn away from that because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. You see, in the Passover celebration in Exodus, God spared the firstborn of the Israelites, substituting a lamb for them, blood that they would put over their lamppost, and he would pass over their home. But you see, with Jesus Christ, God did not spare his only son. He gave up His one and only Son for us all. Scriptures tell us, for the joy set before us, Jesus went to the cross. And He suffered. And He bled. And He died. He paid the price for your sin and my sin. Once 
and for all. God gave his very best for you and for me. He spared nothing. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, there was no 50%. There was no 10% or 2% held back in case this didn't work out. Jesus gave it all. In fact, if we would go on in Mark chapter 14, you would read the anguish that Jesus would go through as he prayed in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. If there was any way that you could pass this from me, any way that any other way that it could be done, that I would not have to do this, Jesus said, please. But nonetheless, not my will, he says, your will be done. There was no other way. And so through this death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and me, who go to Jesus and ask for His forgiveness and accept Him as our Savior, accept Him as our Passover Lamb, we, as the Scriptures say, have been given a new heart. A new heart to know God, to worship Him. The Holy Spirit that has breathed new life in us. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Scriptures tell us this way. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we are told that God made Him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for you and me, that we might become the righteousness of God. Put another way, in 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died for sins once and for all. He, the righteous one, dying for you and me, the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh, made alive in the Spirit. Jesus, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. You see, today we celebrate that. And we celebrate it here this morning in something called communion. It's complicated. It's confusing. It's hard to understand. What is this all about? You know, uh, my wife and I are are part of a church back in Bloomington in Normal. Uh, We've been going, it'll be, we'll be five years old in uh, August. And uh, our tradition has just sort of been that we, we, uh, doesn't, no statement to make of this. It just is everybody has a right to do what they want to do with this, but we celebrate communion every Sunday. And I thought, well, well that's kind of weird. Well, I've never done that before. Why, why are we doing this? And I asked my pastor about it, and um, he says, I don't want people to ever forget what Jesus has done for them. I don't want to ever forget that. Not okay. So what, what, what is the deal here? And uh, we have a tradition of where we just kind of hold the elements, and sometimes my wife and I do this, and I'll hold the juice, and, and she'll hold the bread. And we watch people coming down one Sunday, and, and as I was standing there holding these things, it, it just came to me, what, what are we doing here? What's this about? And I saw everybody coming, and it was just such a joy to stand there and see people coming. Everybody coming down. Because you see, as they come, 
they come making a statement. I need Jesus. There's no other way. No one can forgive me. No other one. No one else has paid the price for my sin. I come. I am a sinner. I need Jesus. And this morning, what God is communicating to us through this very important ordinance of communion is, don't you ever forget it. I died for you. I suffered. I paid the price. Whatever your sin, whatever your need, whatever your burden, whatever it would be, I died for it. I paid the price. Your future is secure. Don't you ever forget it. That is the message of communion. That is the message of Jesus, our Passover lamb. And so this morning, we are getting ready to celebrate. And if we turn a page just a few chapters over in in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see some instructions for us as to how we are to do this. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, as we read in in Mark 14, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, we must not have a hardened heart this morning. We must not forget what Jesus has done. This is precious blood that he shed for you and me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I just got back Thursday night from a mission trip that I took to New York City. We took a group of college students from the University of Illinois who were on spring break, and we went out to New York City. And One morning we were walking down 42nd Street to a park where we were going to share the gospel and there was a preacher out on the street on 42nd Street. And uh, they can be very entertaining and I got a chuckle and afterwards I thought, I don't know if I should laugh at that or if I should cry. It was so true. This preacher says, Some of you know more about the death of Whitney Houston than you know about the death of Jesus Christ. And you want to know more. You can't get enough about the death of Whitney Houston. But he said you need to know about the death of Jesus Christ. And I thought as funny as that is, it's so true. It's so sad. There are people who can't get enough of the tabloid news. Do you know about the death of Jesus Christ? Do you know that when He died, you died? That He paid the price for you? That He died in your place so that you don't have to go through the hell that He went through?
You see, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But Paul also instructs us here, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the blood of the Lord. So not only is this a remembrance to us, it is, verse 28, a time of examination. Because the Lord tells us here, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You see, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's a time for us to look at ourselves and realize that there is forgiveness. For whatever our sin may be, there is forgiveness, full and free, in Jesus Christ. That is the beauty of this meal. It is for everyone who has received Jesus Christ as their Savior. You see, we do remember what Jesus has done for us. And so I understand you have your own traditions here. I think that's wonderful. So I I take it you take the bread off here and you dip it in the cup. But what we would ask of you this morning is participating that you would examine yourself, that you would turn to Jesus in saving faith. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, We would ask that you would decline participation. But if you want to know Jesus, I met a man this week from the Congo on Wednesday afternoon. He said, a lot of things I don't understand, but he says, I want salvation. I said, you can have salvation. It is a free gift from God. And we explained it. And he prayed and received Jesus as his Savior. That same grace is available to you this morning as well. If you don't know Jesus, I would love to talk to you about that. And I know there are other people here at the church who would too. But if you do not yet know Jesus as your Savior, we would ask that you would decline participation. And as we come, we come knowing that we need Jesus. And we're not ever want to forget what he has done for us. Let's close in prayer as we celebrate.